This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So one of my favorite forms of writing is the celebrity profile. If you're listening to this, you've surely read your fair share of them over the years as well. Now it feels as though pretty much every outlet, online, print, or both, runs a monthly celeb profile to accompany a magazine cover or a digital cover, or just a lengthy, or honestly, sometimes not so lengthy, deep dive on a celebrity who is promoting anything from their latest movie to a product launch to a brand collaboration, things that contractually tend to include some sort of press obligation. They're seemingly everywhere now, and they do genuinely help to promote whatever celebrity wants to promote, even if it's just themselves. They're being exposed to that outlet's audience, which may share some overlap with that star's own following online, but still also includes others who, you know, could be interested in them, but don't follow the every move or don't know exactly what they're up to these days. While helpful, though, they aren't essential to the success of a celebrity or their latest project or product. If they skip press to promote something, they can still get the word out there via social media. Before the rise of social media, though, the press was the main way that celebrities would promote their stuff, and magazines were the most glamorous and sought-after way to do so. Who doesn't want to be on the cover of a glossy magazine like GQ or Vogue or Vanity Fair or Harper's Bazaar? In exchange for the epic photos and the feather in your cap that you get for snagging a cover, a celebrity had to open up their life to a journalist for a bit, probably be asked some invasive questions, and then forego their absolute control over their image as the writer put together a profile on them. Sometimes flattering, sometimes not, sometimes fawning, sometimes snarky. The best celebrity profiles were a true window into a star's life that showed us unexpected things, uncovered new details about them that we previously didn't know, and inserted the writer's voice at opportune times to give the piece some personality and some insider perspective. But now, the celebrity profile is at once more abundant and less essential than ever. Because outlets are so desperate for any clicks they can get, and celebrities bring in those clicks, and because celebrities could just share their own story in their own words, in their own time, on their own social media pages, they don't need to give these outlets and journalists the access that they did before. They can meet for lunch at a public restaurant or a members-only club for an hour or two. Their publicist can be sitting there to remind the journalists that certain invasive topics are off-limits, and then the subsequent profile can be a fairly light puff piece with little to no new information in it. They still get the photo shoot, albeit one with a much smaller budget, and they still get to say they were on the cover of something. And the outlet can still boast about having a household name in their pages or on their website, watermarked with their logo. While there still is the occasional viral celebrity profile that could stop you in your tracks or blow your mind or go viral, they tend to only come like once or twice a year these days. There's the Jeremy Strong New Yorker piece that launched a bunch of discourse online, or the one about Gwyneth Paltrow from the New York Times a few years ago that comes to mind. GQ has done a few great Kim K profiles in the last decade or so, but all is that to say that 
we're past the heyday of the celebrity profile and how fun that heyday was. One of the women who was at the forefront of that era is on Gabbing with Gib today, and her name is Vanessa Gregoriadis. Vanessa wrote a lot for New York Magazine, Vanity Fair, Rolling Stone, and the New York Times Magazine. And she's profiled everyone from Kim Kardashian and Nicki Minaj to Justin Bieber, Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Katy Perry, Paris Hilton, Lady Gaga, the list goes on. The things that she's seen and the stories that she has are endless and fascinating, and she isn't afraid to tell you what she thinks. Now you can hear her thoughts on some of the biggest tabloid and celebrity stories and scandals of today and yesteryear on her podcast, Infamous, which is under the umbrella of Campside Media, which she's a co-founder of. Infamous is a great podcast to subscribe to because it delves deep into a celebrity profile that you've heard about or know pretty well from anywhere from two to six episodes. So if you're interested in one story, you can pop into it. You don't have to listen to the next series, but there's always something to come. And it's well-researched and informed and makes you think differently about at least one aspect of the story. And it might be a story that, again, you know really well, but it uncovers something in the corner of that story, again, that you have not really thought about. In the case of its recent four-part series on Taylor Swift's various controversies over the years, Vanessa actually plays some of the recordings from her interviews with Taylor Swift from when she profiled her for Rolling Stone when she was 19 years old. She knows what she's talking about, often from firsthand experience. During my fascinating chat with Vanessa for today's episode of the podcast, we talked at length about Taylor Swift from what she remembers from that experience to what she thinks about her being at the center of culture right now, Britney Spears and what it was like to be in her orbit at the height of her 2008 breakdown and how that experience informs how she thinks about what Britney Spears is going through these days. We also talked about the story that put her on the map in the late 90s, which was about a power publicist in New York City and a lot more. Enjoy my interview with Vanessa Gregoriadis. Check out her podcast, Infamous, available everywhere. And please rate, review, and subscribe to Gabbing with Gib wherever you're listening to this right now. I want to gab. All right, so today we're gabbing with Vanessa Gregoriadis, who is a legendary writer whose work has appeared in the likes of New York Magazine, Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, and more over the years. She's also the host of Infamous Inside America's Biggest Scandals, a podcast from the company that she co-founded, Campside Media. Vanessa, I've long been a fan of your work, and I'm so excited to get some time with you today. How are you? Thank you so much. I am good. And it is wonderful to talk to you. I was listening to your Meghan Markle interview. Oh, my God. What did you think? I know that you're sort of in the royals mindset. Exactly. I love it. I mean, I just don't know when Omid's like, I'm not really a friend. It's like, well, you are sort of a friend, or at least it started that way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you probably have such a good perspective on that, right? Because it's sort of like, over the years, I guess, when you've when you profile people, are there certain ones that have sort of that you've gotten feedback that's similar to maybe what he's gotten over the years, which is like, oh, you're you're too in their ear. They're they're too in your ear. I mean, normally it's the other way around, where people are like, "Why did you sell her out?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, I but I was just trying to write what I thought was right, right and true, etc." But yeah, I mean, I had Kim Kardashian send me flowers after I wrote the piece about her, and I did think to myself, like, "Wow, I must have really." <laughs> she like, liked it. Given her a big old hug. Yeah. I do like her. She's an awesome person. You yeah. Know? What what year did you profile her? God, I want to say it was like probably like 2013, 14. Okay. So, so. sort of right before the sort of mogul era exactly. of her career kind of took hold. Totally. Like back when it was all still about Kanye. Right. Interesting. Yeah, yeah totally. Now he's like a distant memory. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, kind of like a ghost in their life, honestly. But. <laughs> 
So Vanessa, I've been listening to Infamous since you started it in, in, at the end of 2022. And, you know, you'll do basically anywhere from two to six parts of, of some like some infamous story. And it can be like Girls Gone Wild or the Gwyneth Paltrow ski trial. It kind of runs the gamut yeah. in a really exciting way. I feel like your focus on podcasting has sort of come at the same time as like that's very much a changing nature in the celebrity profile and sort of like there's a lot less access given these days and they're not as like influential or impactful as they maybe were 10 or 15 years ago. How have those two things sort of informed each other? Like, cause now that you're focused a lot on, on infamous and things like that, I'm, I'm just curious sort of how you're thinking about that. Yeah. Well, I think magazines are in a terrible place, right? Like, I mean, it's just, just every, every time you think it can't get worse, it gets worse. Mm. You know, you pick up some magazines, they look like a supermarket circular, things that used to have like Prada ads in them. And so with that comes like a winnowing of your access to subjects that want to talk to you because they realize like it, you're not actually that influential anymore. How many issues are you really selling? Of course, the rise of social media as well. Celebrities can put their own stories out. Right. Actually, speaking of Kim, I remember like very, probably like five years ago, I got a call from a women's magazine and they said, can you do an interview with Kim Kardashian for the cover? By the way, this is a big women's magazine. And you'll have 20 minutes and it'll be on the phone and you need to talk to her about sunglasses because she's going to like wear this pair of sunglasses oh that God. promoting in the cover photo. And I was just like, you know, this is this is where I get off. Like, this is my stop. I right. got to get off this train. Th this is the crossroads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was used to spending like, you know, five days with Katie right. Perry. And like following her all over, going to her house, like different cities. You know, yeah, exactly. Watching her walk around her in her little like Japanese slippers and like <laughs> make tea for us. And then it's like 20 minutes to talk about sunglasses. And you're just like, I can't, you know, like, why not do branded content then? Like, right. what there's right. no difference. Well, but I feel like it's it's this interesting kind of thing of like, you know, they don't provide as much access. It's not as quote unquote important to them, but there are still certain really big celebrities who really still care about getting the magazine cover or getting kind of placement in legacy media. It's this weird push and pull, I feel like, and, but they don't right. want to give the access. And I guess they don't right. have to. Exactly. Yeah, they don't have to. I mean, you know, once in a while, you'll get somebody who really wants to play ball. But generally, it's like after they've had a scandal or something right. where they want to come back or you'll still see in Vogue like a big designer profile, even though designers are not, you know, as big celebrities as they once were. I mean, I still think there are ways to do it. And like when it's when you've done it well, you can really get a lot of attention. Like think about the Jeremy Strong profile that was totally New Yorker. Yorker. Yeah. <laughs> talking about character acting for succession. It was like all anybody talked about for a week. Mm -hmm. So you can do it. But for me, I just started to focus more on like, well, what is a medium where people want to hear stories, yeah. right? Where they're not just like, click, click, click. I have seven tabs open. I read two sentences and I move on. And the awesome thing about podcasting, as you know, is like you, all you people listening are probably going to listen for this half hour. I hope you will listen, you know, right, right. But it's like, it's, you know, you don't turn it, maybe you don't click to the next episode, but you definitely listen to that episode at least. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you do the, the series on Gwyneth, but you don't listen to the series on Nexium. but like, okay, but we're, we're, you're getting something, you're kind of giving something to everybody at some point, maybe. 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like now we're doing, I know this woman who was the real life inspiration for Regina George. So we're doing like the real life Mean Girls and her whole story. She's actually sort of downbeat about it because, you know, she's like, it was a very terrible time in my life, (laughs) which I guess is the ultimate revenge. But we pick things that we see sort of bubbling up in pop culture. And if I happen to have written something about it, then we can use some old tape recordings, right? right? So we just Taylor Swift. I wrote her first Rolling Stone cover. So, you know, there's not as much juicy in there because it's like Taylor Swift. She's 19. What's their dog cover too, right? Right, totally. exactly. She's not, Unless you're a gay lore, you may not. I mean, that is the one big secret. Well, I wanted to ask you, I mean, did, did you see that whole thing about the New York Times piece? Like that I it's didn't. it's really, that's kind of what people are talking about right now. What do you think of that? Because they, they put it under the opinion section, which I think was probably right. a big, it kind of shifted the, the the categorization and the blame potentially. But what did you think of that whole thing where they ran a 5,000 word piece oh of kind of speculating about Taylor's potentially queer identity? Yeah, it's so complicated because on one hand, it's really distasteful, right? And, and you know, when I started doing this, I mean, speak about Kevin Spacey, when I started doing this kind of work like 20 years ago, the lawyers would sit you down and say, never accuse somebody of having done a crime that you don't see like in legal paperwork, publicly available legal paperwork, never say they did drugs unless, you know, you did it with them basically and never say anybody's gay because that's their private life and you can't say that, right? And then there were always these things like, well, should we out this person, right? Like, is that cool? Like, and, you know, certain activists would say, you should do it, right? It's so fascinating that we're now at a place where Taylor Swift is sort of public property in a way and opinions on Taylor Swift are just so clicky, click, 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 click. Like everybody wants, everybody has one. Everybody thinks they can get a click for one. Now, on the other hand, the woman who wrote the piece had a pretty good argument, which is that Taylor Swift uses a ton of queer coding. Mm. Lavender Haze is like, come on. I mean, please, you know, if you're not telling us, like her stories, her songs are always telling you something. And to say, I'm going to have a big thing come out and then on Lesbian Visibility Day drop, was it a tweet? That's the, like, the me, the me music video, right. Coming like, out, you me. know, right. she obviously knows what she's doing. So then you get into sort of the thing of, well, is that appropriation and is that gross? Like, is that actually a ding on Taylor? And that is also icky. So it's the whole thing is sort of icky. The whole thing, yeah. And that, and that's why I'm, I mean, I was just surprised. One, I was surprised they ran it. I've never really subscribed to the whole Gaylor stuff because I, again, I just, you know, we've all fallen prey to like kind of being part of those conversations of like speculating about a celebrity's sexuality and things, but it always leaves me with that icky feeling. And so I just, I just like overtly try not to do it. It sometimes happens, obviously, but like, to run a 5,000 word piece about it in sort of the, you know, the paper of record, like it just feels ill-advised at, at, at the, at best, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Like very, it's, it's sort of ill-advised at the same time. Like, I think that it's worth bringing it as a cultural, like, sure. like, well, what is she doing mm-hmm. in terms of like, 
what is she trying to communicate through this? If it's not that, because it's almost like you shouldn't speculate on that, but be like, okay, is she trying to say I'm an ally or does she just think this stuff is cool or, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, with Taylor, it's hard because she's, on one hand, she's so open and on another hand, she's so controlled. And that sort of dichotomy is part of what I think it keeps her so vital, which is that she works so hard and she controls her message and makes it so good, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's sort of like maybe the, yeah, maybe the way in instead of sort of centering her own sexuality could have been like, is she doing this for the right reasons? Is she, yeah. you know, sort of, is it, a pure, is it pure intention? It's, yeah, yeah. That's what probably the, the, the less. Right. And so, you know, you you said you just ran a series on Infamous about Taylor, where you use a lot of recordings from when you interviewed her when she was 19 years old. And I guess for people listening who have not listened to that, what was the biggest thing that sort of stuck with you all the years since then about Taylor Swift? You know, she's in this all-encompassing sort of moment where there's breathless coverage coverage of her every single day. You know, I think you've said that like you saw you knew she would big be big, but maybe not this big. Yeah. What, what 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 were your sort of lingering thoughts about Taylor Swift over the years since you interviewed her? I mean, she so I went to see her in Nashville, right, when she was living in Hen- Hendersonville with her parents. So I went to their house there. You know, had no idea that her parents had any sort of trouble. Like they definitely presented as like, you know, a very happy family, right? right. Her her brother was living downstairs. And it was like upstairs was sort of Taylor Nation, you know, where <laughs> that's like, so funny. All the costumes and everything. And like downstairs, he was like, okay, I gotta get down here. I loved her early work, like her fearless stuff, I thought was great. I sort of liked all the plinky guitars. Yeah. I remember extremely vividly being at like Z100 with her, someplace like that in New York when she was doing a radio tour and watching her just sign and sign and sign and sign and talk to fans. And she just kept it together the entire day. And like the only time I really saw her slip was when we were driving around Mm -hmm. in her hometown. And she was telling me about her high school, one of her sports teams. And she was like, they're named the Commandos. And then she like laughed because that was very- (laughs) Right, Right, of course fabulous piece uh lingerie brand at the time and or whatever it is that or the other meaning of commando but i remember being at z100 with her and she and i think some number of like managers publicists were talking about lady gaga and lady gaga was popping just then in canada and she was like she's coming here like this is about to happen like, we need to watch this. Taylor and it, saw it. Like, yeah. And I mean, and look, people who are really into pop music could have seen that with of course. The videos of Lady Gaga. But she's intensely competitive, right? Which she will say, like, that's, again, part of like, what gets her up in the morning. She, she has to be the best. She has to do things perfectly. So I feel like I saw like a good number of the professional sides about of her. but. You know, I I didn't see, like, the girly best friends with Abby sides of her. Like, she right. talked a lot about Abby. But 
I didn't get to see that. You well, know? I, wa- I wonder when she's in a in in a situation like that where she's talking to her a reporter, she she has that hat on. You know what I mean? She has right. the the public facing Taylor Swift hat on. So I wonder if she doesn't. I feel like we we've we haven't seen much of that at all. I mean, there was the documentary where we kind of got bits and pieces. I feel like of that, but it's right. She kind of code she code switches depending on where she, and on sort of what environment she's in. Totally, absolutely, and I think she's really. You know, she's listening to the old tapes because I had all the tape recordings of when I was with her. It was like eight hours of tape recordings, most of which is very dull, by the way. (laughs) It's like, let's make these cookies. She is like remarkably open and remarkably friendly. And, you know, she talks about how she gets dramatic and upset about like crushes not being requited or whatever. You don't feel like that emotion from her. And I think that she puts those in her songs. And that's always what she said, right? Like, I sort of put this stuff in my song. She has a little bit of a, it's always a good time to meet me when you see me kind of thing going on. She then, like, her real, like, drama and emotions are sort of hidden with, like, a couple of very, very close friends and her songs. Totally. Yeah, that's her... That's the window. And so and so Taylor's at this unfathomable high right now. And I always get so nervous when somebody's at such a high that there's only one direction to go, which is down. And do you think that like, I don't know, just from your observations of, I don't know, similar superstars over the years, do you see sort of like a downturn coming from her, a rejection of certain cohorts of of the population? Like, what do you, how do you follow a year that she's had of, of 2023? Well, I think she's like with this thing with Travis. I I don't know. I mean, it seems unstoppable. Like, what do you think? I, I don't. I don't see like maybe necessarily a downturn coming, but I think that you almost have to pivot because it's like it's been this all-encompassing nostalgia, like kind of inducing moment where she's kind of looking back and I just I don't know what looking forward looks like for her but I think it has to sort of it has to look forward I don't know if that's like okay we're with this guy we get married it's sort of this whole new era for her I don't know but are you I kind of I mean I'd be I've been a big fan of hers but I think that like I don't really identify with the sort of new age of fan that's like so uh every move is like a big deal and everything is like let's you know, there's an Easter egg. I, I'm not, I don't subscribe to that. It's more for me about the music, you know? I don't know. But I think that she's just like a fascinating figure to to try to. Yeah. You know. I mean, I, I'm sort of like, I think of this 2023 as like the year of the girl, you know? Yeah. I think that there was an article in the times that I thought was totally spot on, which is like, it's never been harder to be an adult woman, right? Like, Again, I mean, I hate to be so old, but like, you know, in the 2000s, we talked about like, how do you have it all? You can't have it all. You can't have a relationship and a baby and a job. That would be impossible, right? Whatever shall womankind do? And then it was like, oh, you know what? How about this? Just buy some really expensive aromatherapy and moisturizers. (laughs) Call it self-care. And then you can work full time and you can have a baby and you can have a partner. And for me, it's like, and I should take care of my ailing parent. So like I'm in this like total sandwich generation thing that a lot of 
people are in as well, you know, and that is, it's so intense to have that amount of responsibility. Plus now also the responsibility of needing to look hot and young, which is like, I'm sure you've seen the memes where it's like, look at these people in their forties from like, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is what a four-year-old looks like. To, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like everybody's hair has died, you know, like now, like a lot of people are on Ozempic, but whatever it is, it's like people are trying to have green juice and like green juice is super expensive. And how do you put gas in your car and the green juice and having children, like, unless you make a ton of money, like if you're in a two income household, a lot of times, like one person's income is just going to pain for that child, like right. the child and all the stuff you need to buy. So not to be heavy about it, but I do think that part of why you saw Barbie pop and Taylor pop is, and these things were driven by adult women. They were not driven by tweens, right? Mm -hmm. This was not another like Disney club, Britney, like, yeah, I love them. I mean, fine. Like Taylor obviously has a lot of tween fans, but like Barbie was almost like a little over my 11 year old's head. Mm -hmm. Part of why you see all this stuff is it's like wish fulfillment. It's like aspirational escapist. Oh my God. I want to feel how I felt that day when I was 15. You know, and I heard fearless, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, the, the screen do door porch, whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just feel really like you're back. She's very, very good at digging into the experience of being a young person, right? Yeah. I don't love like there's a um critic who wrote that she's like a cyborg with feelings. And I, I don't was think like, that. No. <laughs> I was like, oh, you thought that. Oh, you thought that. Well, I mean, I think some of her later stuff, I'm like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, okay. let's get an awesome video. Like, got it. But I mean, they're great, great, great songs. But I mean, there is this way that she sort of she has to like compartmentalize her life in such an intense, distinct way that it feels almost inhuman. I guess sometimes the way that the way that she's able to do it. I I think that you you just, you just spoke about sort of the nostalgia that she induces, and I just don't know if that's something she like wants to do every step of the way of her career going forward. You know what I mean? But like that sort of obviously has informed this this huge year she's had. But I don't know who's to say. Who's <laughs> to say? Yeah, uh, I want I want to sort of pivot because you know I think another sort of one of your most iconic profiles was the one you did of Britney Spears in Rolling Stone, February 2008, which was sort of the very tail end of that really chaotic period in her life right before the conservatorship was enacted. You know, I reread the piece before doing this interview, and it's it's just it's quite it's full of a lot of really kind of scandalous details. And it's a lot it's very much informed by the people in in and around her camp, not by her directly. And I'm just curious, like, what was that like gathering all the information? It was a, it was a circus around her at that time. And you were you sort of voluntarily went into that circus for a little bit. My God, it was so crazy. Yeah. I mean, I was assigned the story from Rolling Stone when she hit the, you know, her umbrella against the the car. And at the time they said, okay, well, Brittany has no publicist. She has no management. She's not in touch with her family. And like, go forth. 
And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I can't, how, how exactly would I coordinate this? And they were like, well, you just go and figure it out, which is a really bizarre and interesting thing that I think doesn't happen as much now in celebrity journalism, but used to be a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. like, go knock on some doors, figure it out, figure out where she is, blah, blah, blah. So I started going around LA, you know, at that time I would go out a couple nights a week to like nice places. And I would just ask everybody who I met. I'd just be like, not like the, the maitre d', but like if I was having dinner with somebody right. or I went to a party, I would talk to people <laughs> and I would just like, be like to see if you had a connection to Britney maybe yeah you know anybody who knows Britney Spears because there were people there who were working at like CAA or whatever totally so I found this one woman and she was like you know I do know somebody who is like at this like a furrier like the Scandinavian house of style which exists to put like furs okay think, maybe on celebrities and I, I met this guy and he says he knows Britney. And I was like, oh, okay. And this woman was like the girlfriend never to be seen again of some person I barely knew, right? And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll tell him I want to interview Britney and like maybe he can help me. And she was like, okay. And so I'm like driving somewhere and she calls me and she says, he says he'll meet you. And I'm like, amazing. And she says, I'll meet you on this corner of Doheny and, and Beverly Hills. And I was like, yeah. And so then I'm, he's like, when? Now? Okay. So I like start driving over there. I drive, I'm like 10 minutes away. She calls me back and she's like, oh, wait a second. He says <laughs> that you need to bring him $2 million. And I was $2 like, $2 million. What? <laughs> she was like, he needs $2 million in order to go forward. For him or for Brittany? For, Who knows? Who knows, right? And I, so I called my editor because I was like, you know, you're not allowed to pay people, right, in the U.S. So I said, what do you think I should do? And he was like, why don't you just play that out? Because, like, we're not paying anybody. But, but go along with it. Sounds like something interesting is about to happen. So I got on back and I was like, well, I don't have the $2 million, but I have like the contract. And he was like, okay, whatever. The woman said it was fine. So I pull up to this corner. <laughs> I'll never forget this as long as I live. And there's this guy standing there and there's like a blue navy blue like beater Porsche okay this like sort of good looking short guy standing there and he's got a t-shirt that says fuck rehab and I was oh, like Lord. well that is the guy I'm here to meet right <laughs> it, it's like no way it's not right and so that was like back at the time remember when everybody like carried around their laptop in a little laptop case right so I like I had my laptop case, so I like pulled it out, and he was like, "Is that the contract?" And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> so basically, this started like this whole experience with this guy, and then different paparazzo, and then I went and I hung out at the Four Seasons at the bar because she was always going to the Four Seasons. Right, so pull out of her house, go to the Four Seasons. Long story short. I saw her in an elevator once. I saw her, like, I was in a paparazzi car. She was right next to us. And I was like, hi, you know, but I never got to interview her. But I basically wrote this long, long, long piece mm -hmm. about the entire, like, Britney economy at that time and the way it was working in L.A. Now, I have not spoken publicly about this, like, in any of the documentaries or anything like that, because... 
there are things that I feel bad about in that piece. Like I kind of put her down and made her sound like it was sort of her fault, quote unquote, which was not right. And I shouldn't have done it that way. It was like a very sort of Bukowski-esque way of writing. And it was very Rolling Stone and like... Of that time as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just at that time we didn't talk about mental issues in the same way. I was more focused on like, she probably had a drug problem, you know, at that time. And that's what people were telling me. But it was fascinating. I mean, it was a fascinating, weird, yeah. once in a lifetime, horrible thing for her. Really horrible. Totally. Really horrible. Really horrible. Like, interesting. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, so interesting. And it just, I also just, the timing of your piece is just so, in hindsight, it's just so wild because that, it, it sort of came out. And then like right after that, it's sort of when, the conservatorship happened and like sort of her life got on a total different kind of path. And I, I guess last thing about that is how does watching what, where her life went after that moment in time, like how did that change how you thought about her? And I guess like, I mean, the, the conservatorship was over 10 years, you know, and like that, I don't know. I'm just curious if how that impacted your thoughts on her. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel for her. Like, I really do. You know, I mean, it's hard because it's like on one hand, you know, when when everybody was like, free Britney, free Britney, free Britney, I was like, absolutely free Britney from her father. Right. Because we all knew that back in the day that, you know, she read in the poem about he was bad news. Yeah. Was bad news. He was an alcoholic. He treated her badly. Blah, 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 blah. But I wasn't so sure you should free Britney from like any sort of structure, right? Like in conservatorship, I mean, that's like an ugly thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's it's very hard in terms of like, it's her money, right? And she's been a singing, dancing, like doll for it her whole life. And so anybody else putting their hands on her money feels like egregiously disgusting. Right. At the same time, she needs some structure, you know, and and it's it was clear also at that time from her Instagram accounts that she was not well. So I think like it, you know, as these things do a lot, the pendulum swung all the way over, and it was like free Britney. Exactly, she's, free. she's yeah. about to shoot a movie. Like, who knows what her next album is? And then she's like playing with knives, and there's like little dogs in the background, and you're like. Oh, wait. Something's not matching up. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, it's not that simple, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, you know, a part of being a, like, a journalist, like an investigative celebrity journalist, it's hard on your soul because, right. like, a lot of times, I mean, in you know, the gallows humor is like, we're making our livings off of people who are who are mentally unstable. And then everybody can be like, oh, my God, why did Amanda Bynes do that? And right. you're like, oh, well, I have an answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, not, we're not like diagnosing, but like there's something going on. Exactly. Yeah. Like something's going on. He's sensitive. Like Charlie Sheen. It's like, why is he saying tiger blood? Oh, my God. Well, he has like HIV. You know, like mm. a lot of times you find out. Like, there's something so horrible going on in this person's life, and everybody wants to go for the ride because it's fun to, like, sort of guess about it. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, I didn't talk about, like, when I was asked to be on those documentaries, I was like, I don't think so, because I just thought it was reputationally potentially harmful for me. Got it. 
But like, I'm happy to talk about it now that it's sort of like the- We're, we're past like, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're in the new phase of like, okay, what Well, there's the more heck? nuance. There's no, there's a little more nuance, I think, in the conversation around her, right? Because it, it was kind of all or nothing, I think, for a couple of years there. And I think now it's like, okay, you know, two things can be true at once kind of two thing. Two things can be true at once. I mean, that's yeah. the problem with life is yeah, just exactly. like yeah. the gossip just flattens everything, yeah. you know? And that's what makes people fascinating. Like what makes people fascinating is when they have two opposing forces in them. The Taylor Swift girl and, you know, crying over the breakup and the CEO who's taking vengeance, who's saying like bad blood. Like those are the opposing forces. And so many people have that, but it's hard to get like a mob riled up. I know. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure you've been at the receiving end of a lot of those over the years. Yeah, you know, man. one of the other articles that I see it go viral once a year, I would say is the PR is the power girls that from just, it's, it's from December, 1998. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's this, it's this really fun article to read that it's just about this kind of tr- this, this group of young women who were kind of taking the PR world by storm in New York. And they were kind of rubbing shoulders with celebrities, all these things. What is it about that piece in your mind that gives it such staying power? Yeah, I mean, that was like the first piece I wrote, right? Like it was the like first number one. I ever wrote. Wow. Like in, that was a cover story. I mean, it's basically, it's a story about these publicists in New York City who are young. They were like in their 20s and they were working for like super duper fancy fashion places. And just as a lark, they decided to make a girl who was like a shop girl at a dress boutique into an it girl. And they got her like highlights from Frederick Mackay and they put her in Vogue and she did like interviews her about her moisturizer and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, they were very close with all the socialites of New York City. And she then the the shop girl that they had made into the it girl went and had an affair with the husband of the heiress to the duty-free fortune. And so then they like destroyed her. So it was just like this unbelievable story. You can't make this shit up, right? So clueless, you know, like it was so great. I have really made my career being a serious writer on very unserious things. Mm. And I just love like Edith Warden and Henry James and like a social comedy and like, Something just like that's, you know, Bronte's but funny, like everything that's sort of like set in a little Victorian house. I love that. Like, Uh I just love it. Like every Gossip Girl, like I'm shocked I didn't write Gossip Girl. Like that is my milieu. That's your real house. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it feels really good to have a couple of stories that are iconic, right? Like the Britney one and that Power Girls, the the publicist one really are things the that are pieces. Right journalism school yeah. and they're out there and they're really flashing. They're really fun. And I'm really proud of them, you know, and it's, it's awesome. Like yeah. it's hard to, I mean, you know, better than anybody, like so many people write off your, off your work as like, Oh, who is that person? That unserious person, you know, because I'm if, talking about housewives and Bravo and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. It feels good to be like, okay, no, this actually does have value. This isn't just junk food. You no. know, well, to like 
read and then toss in the trash can. Yeah. You know? Well, I think it's like it's it's this thing where it's like there's a reason why things are popular. And then I think we should examine those things that are popular. And like I don't yeah. people think that that kind of thing is just like so easy and and light. But there's 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 a story behind that that thing that, that we're being presented. And I feel like, you know, the PR story and then you also cover story about stylists a couple years later. And there's a clear interest in sort of the the teams around the celebrities, the people that sort of make up their their armies. What mm. what 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 interests you about those kind of people, the PR people, the stylists, the yeah. the managers? I mean, again, I think it is like a social comedy, like a drawing room social comedy. Like I always want to feel like you're like I want my stories to feel like you're at like an off Broadway play. That's why I loved going to the ski trial because like yeah. all twenty hours were videotaped, and it's just <laughs> such. High drama. It's like, camp. Yeah. The worst. No, he's the worst. I mean, it's the camp of the year, you know? And so it's fascinating. I mean, working for Rolling Stone, I have to say, you know, you have the sense that there's like an army of people behind every pop star. Like Taylor Swift has an army. Like, you know, this there's an equivalent number to the stands. The Swifties are these people who work for her. And it's just, like, not true. Mm. It's really, like, over and over and over. And look, for Taylor Swift, her parents were well off, right? Which is part of why she made a decent deal. Of course. Big machine. And also, like, she didn't get taken advantage of and twisted and blah, blah, blah. But, like, I mean, I interviewed Usher. And it was, like, it's always like this. It's, like, the mom, who's sort of the manager, right? The best friend, the long-suffering best friend from middle school or high school who's now the assistant, sure. right? The fabulous stylist who is, like, sort of the most important person because they're, like, actually really close to you, you mm -hmm. know? The main, like, boss bitch producer, right? <laughs> there's, like, there's, like, these six people. Yeah. And a creative director. And all that is happening is these people are on their phones, you know, just email, email, email. She's going to be here then. He'll be there then. No, he's going to be late. He's not doing that interview. This is the photo shoot. We're making sure he wears Balenciaga. And it's just like, an, it's just really like having, it's like having a, like a band. Like that's the band, yeah. right? It's just those little backup people and their relationships, I think, they're just really interesting and how, you know, when you go to interview Weezer, it's like everybody's really unhappy. You know, mm. when you go to interview like Justin Bieber, people were pretty psyched. Like there's there's a subculture. To right. Interesting. Groups and, you know, it's very much comes from the top, usually from the mom. Right. 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 Actually yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I am very nosy. I like seeing behind the you know don't we all you just get to you yeah. just get to do it for a living exactly right, exactly yeah. and like just like reality shows it's like these are little plays right mm -hmm. you yeah know? they're little soap operas yeah i mean yeah. what do you think of sort of you know this this sort of really more modern version of celebrity where it feels like everybody is sort of famous to, to a certain subset of people it's all social media fueled or like reality tv fueled like what do you think of those kind of celebrities or housewives. Like, what is your perspective on that as somebody who profiles the more traditional celebrity? Yeah. I mean, the housewives, like the the reality show thing, it's so hard to write about because people don't want to tell you anything because they're keeping the storylines for the fourth wall up. Yeah. And 
the producers are sort of like, why are we doing this? Like, because it does, it's not worth it to them. Mm-hmm. Like now, now you can get Bethany. I mean, we could get Bethany on this call right now. Like, <laughs> let's call her up. You know, like you can get these people. Yeah. But you know, and and a lot. And look, I the unionization thing is super interesting. Me too. Question of if they're performers or if they're not. And the you know, you hear these horrible stories are locked up, drinking, blah, 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 blah. Fascinating. Totally fascinating. The issue is just that reality is generally showing you reality. So they don't want to show you like the flip side as much of the reality. Like, oh, actually, I am playing a part. Let me Got show it. you my real life. This is what my real relationship is with my husband. And that's what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Right. And really don't want to show that because I would mess up their image, which is supposed to be quote unquote real. Um, in terms of like TikTok and all of that stuff, I mean, my son is like, can you DM Mr. Beast and please like do an interview with him? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I don't even really like, know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> I I would, I mean, he's just like one of these YouTubers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another yeah. one of these like kid, you know, sort of like kid jackass stuff YouTubers. Yeah, like nobody knows who these people are. I don't know what to say about it. It's a fascinating conundrum because I have made my career talking about the biggest people. Like I only want to do it if it's the biggest, biggest thing. Super A-list, but not like necessarily, you know, Angelina Jolie, like super A-list pop center of the zeitgeist of pop culture. That's what I'm interested in. And now I'm like, well, who am I to say that this TikToker is not that the center right right like i don't know who's who now and it's the fan culture that's so confusing right like nobody needs me to go interpret what your favorite only fans person is doing it's and also like I- how many people actually care about that it's just the people that are already following them exactly and they want the experience they don't want the Riddick coming in and telling them how, well, you know, OnlyFans really takes 60% and it's not really fair. This person doesn't make enough money. You know what I mean? They're like, I want the, I'd really like just the phantom. Yeah, don't burst my bubble. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's, well, okay, you could write that story. I'm sure, I think there is a great OnlyFans story to be written, but what it what is it? It's just a story in New York Magazine. It's for the sort of culturati on the posts, so they can understand this understand this little subculture of regular people, you know. And that's like I'm not into that. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that's why I think podcasting is is good for now, where it's really like tell stories, put in your cultural commentary, but like make it fun. Tell right. people when if. Tell people like we did Kylie's lip kits. Like that was Forbes a good one. Writer, you that know, was good. Yeah. Like, yeah. A Forbes writer who called her, you know, the youngest female billionaire, which they then found out was not true. They retracted. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We try to both like in Infamous in the show that I make, we try to like both put on the play and give the commentary. It's a it's a fun balance. It's a fun balance. What are you thinking about for 2024 that you that you want to spotlight this year? Yeah, so we are going to do Mean Girls. We're going to do Bling Ring. And then I think our next, like, big thing is going to be Meghan Markle. Yeah. The question of, like, and I'm not sure how we're going to frame it, but we were talking about, like, because I was a Meghan Markle truther from way back. Like, I was like, I don't like her. I don't Got like it. this bad vibes. Okay. Here. 
And people were like, why are you so awful? And I was like, I'm not, I'm just telling you, I've been around the block and I'm getting weird vibes. So we were, we were going to do something like, can you hate Meghan Markle if also the worst people in the world hate Meghan Markle? Because there's like a fair amount of racism. And oh, a lot. Yeah. Royal, you know, in the UK, it's like, oh, the fabulous family and this horrible interloper American. So we're trying to think of how to frame it. Those are tough lines to, I think, skate around. But I do think that, again, yes. like like we said earlier, it's like two things can be true. You, you can see that she was mistreated in a lot of ways, but also see that potentially there was a long game being played or... They've misplayed their hands since then. I don't know, but I I'm looking forward to the, to seeing how you guys how you guys tackle that one. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, Vanessa, this has been so much fun. I think that we're oh, reaching God. the end of our time. But um, oh, so in, 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 infamous. When do you when? How often do you guys release episodes? Do, do your plugs before we sign off here. Yeah. So they come out every Thursday morning, and they're on like Apple, Spotify, whatever wherever you get your podcast. It's called Infamous, and there's a picture of a woman with like her hand in front of her face sort of like in a limo <laughs> Lindsay Lohan it kind of looks like Lindsay Lohan are, to me <laughs> yeah I don't know <laughs> I don't know if it's her but you know, we talked about Lindsay Lohan who is also in a weird spot going mm-hmm. to Dubai go find Lindsay in Dubai see what's up yeah she uh, yeah <laughs> she's kind of skating on them but she, you, you talk about mean girls she's kind of skating on the the mean girls you know that's for sure yeah, yeah, yeah totally yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Vanessa, thank you so much. This is this amazing. has been amazing. You're the best. Thank You're you. Great. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. This was so fun. Thank you for listening to the show. Subscribe to Gabbing with Gabe on any podcast platform to listen to new episodes, and subscribe to Gabbing with Gabe on YouTube to watch full length versions of our interviews. We'd also love your support with a five star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can follow me at Gibsonoma on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and keep up with all things Gabbing with Gabe at Gabbing with Gabe on Instagram and TikTok. Gabbing with Gabe is an independent podcast hosted by me, Gibson Johns. It's produced by myself and Riley Dabbs. Graphics are by Rachel Roth, and our cover art photography is by Troy Hallahan. If you want to reach out about guest booking, sponsorship, or advertising opportunities, email us at gabbingwithgib at gmail.com. Thank you again for your support, and see you next time.